We want to thank you for following the Looking Forward Our Way podcast. Do you know we also have a newsletter? Our goal with the newsletter is to never waste your time or fill your inbox with email landfill. Each newsletter is quick and easy to read, and it keeps you updated on what we're working on as well as what's coming up in the next episode of the podcast. You'll see some newsletter items come and go, but we will always be respectful of your time and inbox clutter. And we always encourage recycling, so please send the newsletter along to a friend or family member. Sign up by clicking on the link in the show notes or go to our website, lookingforwardourway.com. Thanks again for following and listening to Looking Forward Our Way. I am in love with the current workforce because it is intergenerational. I think we have between four and five generations at any given moment in the workforce. So it's pretty cool to be able to go into an environment and to have so much um, diversity of thought, if you will. So when I think about what diversity and inclusion looks like in the workplace, it isn't so much about diversity. We get that. We know that diversity is a fact. We all represent layers and levels of diversity, dimensions of diversity. But now it's how do we make sure that In the 21st century, we all can thrive in this workplace. And so we have some great resources out there that talks about how do we create work environments of inclusive leadership and of belonging. And so that's where my focus, where my work is. We're a small boutique firm that focuses on capacity building, but we're focusing on capacity building in terms of how do we create work with the workforce to create cultures and to create a climate where despite who you are, despite your background, despite your age, you can come in and you are valuable and you are a resource and you can thrive in that setting. We are looking forward our way. We're in Studio C in the 511 Studios. This is Brett. With me is Carol, as always. We're in part number two of this great episode uh, about diversity. And now we're going to be diving into a little bit more about the workplace in this one. Exactly. Um, We've got wonderful guests with us today. And over the past year, our world has really turned around. And we have many more questions about diversity and inclusion, and we wanted to make sure that the podcast did a good job of dealing with this. It's not an easy issue, so we're actually into the second podcast. Um, We've had some great discussion. We're going to continue it today with our wonderful guests, Courtney Kerrigan, who is the CEO and executive trainer of Raising the Bar Performance Group, and Tim Harmon, Senior Consultant Workforce Innovation Center and my former OSU colleague. Thank you for joining us again today. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for having us. We we encourage you to go back to part one, obviously, to listen, but I do want you two to be have the opportunity to talk a little bit about yourselves, a little bit of a background, because we might have listeners that just catch part two about this because of what we're going to talk about today. So, Courtney, could you give a little background of who you are, where you come from, and and then we'll let uh, Tim jump in. Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Courtney Kerrigan, and I am a Ohio child. Um, I was born in Toledo, Ohio. Uh, I love Toledo because we are a city that is, we have grit, we are strappy, um, and and from there I ended up moving to Cincinnati where I went to undergrad and graduate school at the University of Cincinnati. the Bengals fan out there, who day? Yes. Uh, <laughs> and then in 2005, I took a job at the YWCA Columbus, where I've now lived in central Ohio for the last 15 years. Um, and it's an amazing atmosphere. And so I am a Midwestern girl, born and raised with uh, Southern charm, and I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> there you go. 
And and we're really glad you're in Central Ohio now, too. As a Columbus native, we welcome everybody to Central Ohio from the outskirts. Hey, it's the city of possibilities. Exactly. I love Central it Ohio. Yeah. I think we all end up here at some point in our, right. our, Ohio, our Ohio lives. Um, right. I came from Bussars, Ohio. And, you know, in our community, diversity was whether you planted corn or you planted beans that season. <laughs> so also had the opportunity to live in Toledo, Ohio, while I did my undergraduate uh, work. And then I came here to Central Ohio and have spent my last two decades focused on human resources, diversity and inclusion, and a lot of work in recruiting and talent attraction. So I'm glad to be here. Thank you very much. Exactly. Well, we looked at the historical issues of diversity and inclusion in our past episode, uh, part one. Now, we want to dive into the workplace. And it seems that we need to assess where we are right now regarding the workplace and the opportunities created for everyone. Can we dive a little bit deeper into that, Tim? Absolutely. And right, we we need to start with understanding workplace has shifted significantly over the last several decades. And so when we began talking about words like diversity and inclusion, often the context was around affirmative action or government mandates that might have come through that said, well, diversity means we have to have certain numbers and certain targets that show up in our workplace. But today, Diversity in the workplace means that we're being inclusive of everyone to show up as they are. We're not forcing them to fit into a construct or a false pretense that says, well, we need X many male and X many female or X many of whatever their race or ethnicity might be labeled against them. And so today in our work environment, it's not that, oh, will you hit 60? We better start getting that retirement cake ready for you because, you know, you've only got a few more years. Hey, boomer, you're out the door. <laughs> That's exactly. right. Yeah. Surprise. We're like bad pennies. We keep showing up. <laughs> but, and, and that's, you know, part of it's yeah. funny, but it's the beauty. Like we used to think of our parents, well, sure, they needed to retire at 60 or 65. And now we say, well, my goodness, I'm going to live to be 80, 90, 100 years old. We've had so many advancements in health care and medical practices and my, you know we didn't wear seat belts as a kid and now we all do mm-hmm. you know that was the only way i could avoid my mom reaching behind the seat and smacking me was because i didn't have a seat belt on but they now, didn't even exist in the back seat <laughs> yeah. but now we do and it's to our betterment mm-hmm. and it's to our betterment that we as a as a community we figure out how do we keep the experience and knowledge that mature workers have in our work environment, but also provide them the flexibility and agility that younger generations have already demanded. They've said, hey, I want to come and go from work. I want to work from home regardless of whether there's a pandemic happening or not. And we need to find that balance in the workplace so that we have those generations all with equal access and working together. I am in love with the current workforce because it is intergenerational. I think we have between four and five generations at any given moment in the workforce. So it's pretty cool to be able to go into an environment and to have so much um, diversity of thought, if you will. So when I think about what diversity and inclusion looks like in a workplace, it isn't so much about diversity. We get that. We know that diversity is a fact. We all represent layers and levels of diversity, dimensions of diversity. But now it's how do we make sure that In the 21st century, we all can thrive in this workplace. And so we have some great resources 
out there that talks about how do we create work environments of inclusive leadership and of belonging. And so that's where my focus, where my work is. We're a small boutique firm that focuses on capacity building, but we're focusing on capacity building in terms of how do we create work with the workforce to create cultures and to create a climate where despite who you are, despite your background, despite your age, you can come in and you are valuable and you are a resource and you can thrive in that setting. I think Courtney touches on a great word there, culture, right? If we go back 30 or 40 years ago and you walked up to somebody at Nationwide Insurance and you say, what's your culture? Right. They would say, well, we sell insurance. Exactly. You know, no, no, that's not it. <laughs> culture is the fabric of your people. Culture is what your leadership says. This is our mission, our vision, and we're going to resource you around that. We're going to show up in our internal workspaces, but we're also going to show up in the community in alignment with what we are as a culture. And now, with the great work of people like Courtney and others, we actually can address how we can build a culture that's inclusive, that is representative of not just you know one leader in the organization, but representative of the entire organization and how they want to be positioned in the community and get credit for the good work that they are doing in that community. That's right. And where there's gaps – we can address those gaps with intentional design. Right. I I, um, I love that notion of, and we've been talking about the the insight that our young people have. Uh, so one of my young cousins is graduating from Toledo this semester, going to work for a company in Madison, Wisconsin. Oh, nice. So for me, my first question is, oh, my God, there's so much snow. Why are you going that far north from him it was right, right, Aunt Carol. I love the culture. Yep. The company was inclusive, and and so they are learning. They're learning. So now, let's go back to that idea that we had before in the first podcast. Is forty years ago, I thought we were on the right track, and we weren't. How? What do you see these young people doing in terms of these future steps? How can we really? meet that promise of diversity and inclusion? What are what should they be expecting? Yeah, so Peter Ducker um, is a strategist. He's a famous strategist. Um, and he talks about, he has a quote that says, culture eats strategy for breakfast. This is not a millennial who said this, but the, he has a very strong point is that we now have generations, um, two generations that's coming into the workforce and like your nephew, they're saying, I want the environment mm-hmm. to where I can be happy, to where I want to go to work every day, which is very different from the stereotype of baby boomers and traditionalists that just went to work and maybe clocked in and out. I think of um, the Flintstones when you saw Fred putting that <laughs> clocking in and clocking out, right? Yeah, that's we, the, we, we old folks, we were doing the, we I were mean, doing come the on, round wheels. Come on, you know, like that's the stereotype around <laughs> But, Older but, generations. Uh, but the issue then, our, our our narrow look at the workplace is how much did we make and how much vacation did we get? Because I have yeah. to, yeah. seriously, I just need to make money to take care of my family exactly. and I need benefits. Exactly. And now you have younger generations that's coming in and saying, no, I need a place where I can actually thrive. I need a place where I actually feel good about coming to work and doing great work. Mm-hmm. And so that's making companies have to focus on culture. That's making companies have to focus on being inclusive environments and being environments where people belong, where people can actually show up and be who they are. It feels it feels odd. It feels weird. But that is the work of the future. 
for DEI. That is the work. And in terms of creating those spaces that are inclusive and where people belong, we actually are then going to be creating these equitable space. We actually are then going to be creating these equitable spaces that help people that um that that become a space where we're making sure we pay people their value and 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 not making sure that we pay them differently we're making sure that all people have um uh benefits that all people are able to take off that you no longer have to be sick and still have to go to work so mm-hmm. having the younger generation say i don't want to work for a place that isn't like this or in the case of your nephew I want to work for a place because it was like this. Mm-hmm. That's going to change the way we do work. And that's also going to change companies' customer base because we're going to support companies that are actually taking care of their people because then we're going to trust them to take care of us. Courtney makes great points throughout what she just shared. And I think we recognize in the workforce, there's been a huge shift in the dynamic. When we go back to the 60s and 70s and 80s, It was an employer-driven market, and you were fortunate to get a job. You were lucky to be able to stay with Mm -hmm. the company that was going to keep you for 10 or 20 or 30 30 years, years, right? And and so we – many people, whether it's boomers, traditionalists, Gen Xers, grew up in a culture that said – well, you know, go where the job is, and even if it doesn't quite fit, you need to conform because you're fortunate to be employed. And we went through – you know, those economic upturns and downturns of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And a lot of people stayed in jobs that they weren't happy with or they didn't like, but they needed the benefits or it was good pay or it was a convenient commute or it was whatever it needed to be for them at that time because they didn't feel they had a choice to opt out and opt into a career or an organization that culturally met what they wanted. And now, as we're into the 2010s and 2020s, that dynamic has completely flipped and it's now an employee-driven market. Mm -hmm. And so employees, whether they are 20 years old or they are 66 years old, can have choices of where they want to work. And they have opportunities that weren't there and the access to wealth faster is much greater. Right, my my first job, I made two dollars and fifteen cents an hour. Oh yes, <laughs> and there was nothing illegal about that. That right. was what I got paid, and yeah. and I was okay with it, and I worked hard, and I showed up just like I was supposed to, and I enjoyed that aspect. But today, you couldn't get me to walk across the street for two dollars and fifteen cents, let alone do you know an eight hour shift, and so that that change in the dynamic of the workforce is a big one. And 20 and 30 and even some 40-year-olds understand, well, I can pick where I want to work. I can pick Madison, Wisconsin because I like the community. And even if I don't like the job I took there, I'll get a different one in whatever community I want to be a part of. A lot of people today are picking their job because their friends work there, because they like the culture, because it is a shorter commute. And and, and two, with work at home – they could Amen. live anywhere and work anywhere. Yes. And so, you know, when this really that that notion of the changes in the workforce, it really is the same as your discussion earlier about changes in technology and Absolutely. how it took decades to go from horse-drawn carriages to cars um, and technology moved ahead. 
really the workplace didn't change that much except when technology was changing. So the change of of um, the uh, of, of Ford and the assembly line, the assembly, the assembly line, line. Yeah, the assembly yeah. line, mass production, exactly, and then larger pieces of equipment in factories and those kinds of things. That's what was changing, and now our workforce is much more much less driven by large machinery and much more by um, small technology, not smaller in size, but smaller in, in um, space of, that it uses. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, and, and the very notion you touch on, there's a, a wonderful author, Heather McGowan, who wrote a book, Future of Work. She has many other publications out there. And Right. What Heather talks about is the dynamic acceleration over the last 15 years in the work environment and how that technology has impacted what we value. Mm -hmm. We no longer value the stored knowledge of a Ph.D. who can sit in the room and has read, you know, volumes of books. We value the mechanic who can fix the noise in our car immediately in real time and then be able to learn how to fix whatever I need fixed next week that changed. And it's so we now value information in a very different way. It's not stored knowledge. It's applicable knowledge. And we're okay with that. It's a change, but it, we're okay with that, right? When when you think today as you listen to this, well, what are we going to have for our next meal? Is it going to be lunch or dinner? If I want to make this amazing chicken cacciatore, I don't go to my grandmother's Betty Crocker cookbook that's under the shelf, I actually just get my phone out and I type in and I get 30 different options and one of them takes five minutes to make and one takes 50 minutes and I opt for the five-minute option because I'm just not patient enough to invest 50 minutes. And candidly, it's good enough. It might not be the best chicken mm -hmm. cacciatore like my grandmother made, but it's good enough and we're happy and we move forward with that knowledge. Right. Yeah. And, you know, we were talking about these changes in the workplace and, and you mentioned that it's and it truly is employee driven versus employer driven. Mm -hmm. And I think those opportunities for employees are now we're seeing that employers are recognizing that if they don't offer the right work environment, uh, depending on the category of, of person, what they're doing and such, you know, the the independent contractors, I mean, it's just exploding and it kind of comes back to that, you know, internet access that you can do this, you can start your own business. Like, okay, if you don't offer the right situation, you're going to lose that person. They're going to go off and do their own thing. I mean, I'm a prime example. At 50, I decide I'm leaving an industry, radio, that I've been in all my life and go out and do into into an industry that didn't exist really when you began exist. your career. Exactly. It, it's the evolution, right? Yeah. You're, you're really in the communications industry and you've evolved as we've learned how to communicate differently. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's the reality of today's employee. Right. Is that the job you take when you start likely – I would even bet 100 percent – isn't going to be the job you have at the end even if you're a doctor or an mm -hmm. attorney because you're going to be doing that job with a different interface of technology and how you touch your customer or or whoever you're working with is going to evolve. And those who are going to prosper are going to be those who evolve with that so that they can be relevant to their audience. That's, yeah. a, that's yeah. a key point. Right. Too. So, I mean, I guess it comes to this question, what do job seekers need to do to find success then? I mean, it's it's an ever-moving target. It's evolving fast. What do you think? What are some 
guidelines, I guess, some suggestions. Yeah. Well, as I said, you know, some of your audience may say, well, you just said it's an employee-driven market, but I can't find the job I want or nobody's mm-hmm. calling me True. back. True, And And we have to be conscious of that. We, we do have to recognize that there's still systems with technology evolving. We, we now – you can't get – your resume looked at by an actual person, you upload it, and then it gets screened in or screened out based on some automated, you know, bot that says, well, you didn't have enough keywords in it, so it's not a match. And so I think it's important for job seekers to own a couple of steps in this. And and one of the first steps is making sure that they have expectations that are realistic. What is it that I've, you know, garnered through my career, whether it's expertise or a wide variety of experiences, and say, well, how can I apply that in today's market? You know, is it best for me because I'm now collecting Medicare or a different insurance setup? Is it best for me to present myself as a part-time employee or a contractor? Because again, there are more of those options and pathways available. Or do I need the security, if you will, of a full-time position with full-time benefits? And what's best for my current family situation. We spoke about that in our previous episode about when we go to vote, we vote about our current situation. And I think that's what we need to do. We don't need to have that aspirational piece. When we're looking at a job, we certainly aren't looking at where am I going to be in 30 years? It's where am I going to be at the end of this year? Mm -hmm. Um, And it may be 30 days, not 30 years. And so we, we need to have those expectations that are realistic of what our skill set is, how it matches up into what's available. We also need to look at what our salary expectations are, right? I I mentioned a few minutes ago I made very little in my first job, but it's not my current or next employer's responsibility to pay me for my years of experience because the truth is I might be able to go get a 20-something to be able to do that job not with the same maturity you would, not with the same expertise you would, but certainly for a lot less money (laughs) Right. You know that we saw that in the recession in the early 2000s, where the, in Columbus, it was the middle management group that was hit. And a lot of clients came in to see me and said, I made $30 an hour. I'm not working for less than $30 an hour. You know, I this is what I need. And the, the notion of what the job was worth, just it just didn't hit them because they were so used to that. Um, going on the um, being on a on a salary level that had steps up, and they yeah. just kept moving those steps up, and they didn't see they saw it as starting over, and that was a negative for them. And we really had to reeducate older adults to see, no, this is what the job pays for that employer. That's what their budget holds. Yeah, and it, it's, it's not a reflection of you. Absolutely, it's a very fluid market. Right. I mean, we, we've seen in, you know, early 2000s, we would join these great big Fortune 500 companies and they would completely go away within 10 years. Mm-hmm. And so that notion of loyalty and foreverness, it's gone. And that doesn't feel good, but it's OK. It's OK for you to say, I'm only going to use this employer for a year or for the discount that I get at the home goods store because I want to redo my garden area. That's okay to use your skill set to help yourself get paid and then use those other benefits of the environment to help you. Mm-hmm. Because the employee, or excuse me, the employer is saying, well, 
I'm only going to use this person until it doesn't benefit me any further because we're going to continue to change what we're producing. And and I think that's an important part. We we look at how the pandemic of 2020, right? Grocery stores moved from being high-touch customer service to being a warehouse that somebody <laughs> else went in. <laughs> yeah, somebody else would go in yeah. and based on what you had ordered offline – Fill your cart, bring it out to your car, and load it into your car. So it really became a distribution center, not an area where we walk through and we talk to the butcher personally or we talk to somebody along the way. And that evolution of what we thought the grocery store was just a few months prior to that to what it is today, it's, it, that convenience of it is going to sustain, yet we still need to make sure we recognize Truly, there are these small businesses that are your local delicatessen, that are your local butcher, that need support and that value that direct touch. Tim, let's. I, I wanted to step back for just a second. Um, when we're looking at what job seekers need to do in terms of making sure that they are going to be successful in the workplace, regardless of who that job seeker is, let's talk about those transferable skills. You know, how do you go back and um, translate your experiences, um, your knowledge, and and your own internal culture to make you a good job seeker. Yeah, well, and right, it starts with taking a good self-inventory and understanding that the resume that you've kept prepared for many years and just kind of updated and changed the dates, you may need to take a whole nother rewrite on it. And what's great bring your daughter, your grandson into the conversation so mm-hmm. that you get relevant language of how it's used in business work or business style today. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes we might only give ourselves credit for doing administrative work when the reality is we were coordinating the entire executive team. That's right. And we were doing so much more than what that label that, you know, came across oh, on right. our right. Uh, our our uh, resume said. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for individuals to take a look at how they're giving themselves credit for the work that they've accomplished and put it in current and relevant language. Um, and then it's also, you know, we, we use this term a lot, networking, but it's reaching out to your network or establishing a, a larger network so that you understand what's available and how that personal referral works. And it's, Mm -hmm. you know, agencies like where you came from, Carol, and, you know, those agencies have a ton of resources that allow you to show up to the employer in a preferred manner. And this is real in our virtual environment or it's in, you know, still the physical let's get together and network. I'm an introvert. So I'm going to speak practically as someone who could never go outside and be totally happy with that life, um, which has been totally happy with COVID. So let's speak practically for the people who are a little shy about um, the current workforce because it is so different than what you were used to or because you had a bad experience in your last one. There are some really practical um, resources and steps out there you can take. So if you're looking at updating your resume and getting kind of acclimated to some of the new language, go to LinkedIn. A lot of people don't like LinkedIn, but I find that introverts like me, we do like LinkedIn because it is a hub of resources and you can connect to companies that way and companies will see your profile and see you and then they will connect to you. I showed I show up in 120 searches a week 
and I don't do anything. Right. Um, so LinkedIn is a really good place to go and explore and get lost. Not only is it a place to go and explore, but it, it uh, in terms of jobs, but it gives you updated articles. There's this wonderful woman. Her, I think her name is Carol um, Finchard, and she does a workplace blog every week. That is a place that we should be going. That is a place that we should be listening to. Also, YouTube. I know people don't want to hear it, but YouTube is a phenomenal place to go because you can hear seven-minute videos of people talking. And not only are you getting some of that new lingo, some of that new language, but you're also learning something. So we're switching to automated. We're going through QuickBooks. My mom got on QuickBooks and started telling me about QuickBooks. And she said, I just watched some YouTube videos. And this is a 60-year-old, very vibrant woman who could have another career, I hope, as my bookkeeper. But she is amazing. <laughs> I, like, I, I know QuickBooks. Oh, you do? Well, then help me get set up because that's like, train us. But it's amazing that she and watched. I taught, and I taught myself. And that's what she's exactly. doing. She watched exactly. three videos, that. right? You can do that. But guess what she said? I don't want to not... I don't want to not know it if we're meeting for somebody to train us. So in her mind, she wanted to kind of know it first. Right. And then, right? So then you can ask the right questions. So she could ask the right questions. And guess who helped her do that? YouTube. Yeah. There's also Simon Sinek. He wrote the book, Why? But if you go to Simon Sinek's website, the beauty of him is that every week he puts out these um, webinars, these classes, if you will. And they're just talking about everything. But it's always geared toward the workplace, the right kind of culture, making sure you show up um, as who you are and be confident in that. And just listening to some of that, it, it helps anybody. Right. So those right. are some really practical resources to just go explore without without being under the microscope of anybody looking at you saying, right. okay, boomer, you're not hip to that. Yeah, no, yeah. you can get lost but, in some stuff. And, and for our listeners, we're going to put all of this uh, into the, our, our resources page for the on the show notes for for this uh, podcast, but I, I do have to give kind of a, a shout out to the Central Ohio nonprofits. Yes, we have phenomenal resources in Central Ohio, and if you're listening from outside of Central Ohio, I'm sorry, but chances are pretty good you're going to find some resources in your community too. They really are a lot of organizations and. Um, it's their expertise that's going to make you a better job candidate. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll add those to our resource sheet and and don't um, hesitate to contact them. And for the most part, it's their free services. So you're really sure. not going to lose in this process. So yeah. Absolutely. Right. I mean, the one thing that Columbus does really well is that they are intentional in creating those free environments and working collectively, right? So whether it's mm-hmm. Goodwill, United Way, uh, right. Jewish Family Services, right. the mm-hmm. Center for Refugee and Immigrant Services, right. they they create those wraparound services so that our community can be better supported. We still have opportunity to really, and I, I don't like this word, but scale those services to meet the demand. Sure. So yeah. we have it, but we mm-hmm. still sure. need to work on making and it accessible. Yeah. You both talked, uh, and I talk a lot about Otterbein. You both talk about your alma maters. Um, for those of you who are job seeking out there and have, especially if you're having some difficulty, check back. If you had an op- opportunity to go to, to college, check back with your career services offices because many of them are helping alumni 
especially in the environment that we're going through now with the workplace with the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, right. that's that's, true. that's at your two year and four year colleges, right. and also if you took a, a vocational school class at one of your career techs in the community, they have great career service resources exactly. as well. And candidly, employers are knocking on their doors saying. We need more welders. We need more pipe fitters. We need more electricians. We need more STNAs. And so they have that network into the job market also. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that and that's so that goes back to that notion of networking is that um, and I'm going to be walking right into our next question that Brett's going mm-hmm. to ask you. For for me, when I'm talking about networking, it really is part of a um, a, a learning experience. You know, networking is not just tapping everybody you know, it's getting information for everybody that you talk to. And so that's part of this, getting yourself prepared to be a good job seeker. You know, and we touched upon the lifelong learning piece of this and just talked about, you know, going back to school or education and stuff. But, you know, and but we did talk a little bit about there's free stuff online, too. There are lots of opportunities. Let's kind of encapsulate a little bit about here are some things to keep in mind that are yeah. out there to do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, right, I'll, I'll introduce a new term to you, MOOC, right? M-O-O-C, mm-hmm. a massive online open course. Mm-hmm. Well, these are verified, certified courses that come from the likes of Stanford, Ohio State, or another in, you know entity that you can go online and register for and take as many or as few as you like. Some have costs, some don't. If you want to get the formal degree or certification that comes along with it, there's often a cost. But in many cases, you can sit in and audit that course virtually from wherever you are. Right. So that approach of you know the beauty of technology is now information is so readily available that we have access to it. We don't have to show up on the physical campus to become a learner. Right. Now, the challenge is, for some of us, we learn better when we do show up on the campus or in the building and sit with the teacher so that we can directly interact with that instructor. And those opportunities exist as well, especially for our more mature workers. There are lots of boot camps. There are lots of free conferences that you can attend and participate in, and you can even look at your formal education institutes. We have over 40 colleges and universities in the Columbus market that you can sit in and audit a course for free. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, Program 60 is phenomenal at Ohio State as the, uh, those programs exist at Columbus State, Otterbein, and I think Capital also. Yeah, and one of the things that I think we now have learned as a society because of COVID is that Zoom It's great to go sit in person, but you can attend a virtual classroom anywhere in the world through Zoom, Mm -hmm. through um, WebEx, through all of this, all of these now online platforms. And it's unbelievable. Like the Library of Congress, the Smithsonian, they have free Mm -hmm. webinars that you don't have to pay for, that you don't have to. All you do is go sign up and you get the link. So you can have education from anywhere in our country, but anywhere in the world now. So I think I take advantage of that. I don't think there's an age on taking advantage of the fact that we are getting really, really great information out there today from researchers, from people who just want to do it Mm -hmm. because they're also enjoying it. We should be taking full advantage of that. Another thing that I'll say, start to look into is that, I know, we know from research that black women 
are leaving the workforce to start their own businesses. I'm one of those that fall in that statistic. There are so many opportunities now to make money based off of what you just like and what you just what your passion is. So don't think as much as we know the diversity of age in the workforce is actually giving us a strategic and innovative strategic uh, win. If you do, if you choose not to go back to the workplace, you can still that whole side hustle, that side gig, whatever language they're calling it is now money making opportunities for everybody, despite what generation you fall in. So start checking that out. I know groups of people who use Etsy. I know groups of people who sell on Amazon. I know groups of people who are just finding a way making money by what they just wake up and enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's fun is. And and the opportunity is there is that there are support groups to help people to get there. Exactly. So you're not going it alone because it, it can be daunting. Can I go, OK, I do want to do this. I want to follow my passion. I'm going to sell, make this this product. But how do I do this? How do I actually make a, a living doing it over time? And there are so many free groups out there, support groups, mentors that will – love to help you get there because yeah. they they had that opportunity given to them somebody helped them and now it's their give back right yeah. it's there and, and when i left my you know when i first left my job as we talked about in an earlier session i was looking for a job even though i was helping my mom i was a caregiver i still needed employment because i had a mortgage and i didn't want my dying dad or my mom to feel like they had to take care of me right with all this education so Going on interviews, it became, I think Tim spoke to it earlier, it's coded language in interviews. Yep. And we know that we see it in our in our more mature populations. There is some ageism. We know that happening out there. There's coded language that I dealt with where you're overqualified or you're underqualified or it's all this, but we have the skill set. And so that becomes very frustrating when you know you are talented, when you know you are vibrant, when you know that you are full of life. So when Brett talks about those communities, it is so important to find those communities. And then you realize, I can do this on my own. And before you know it, you're making more money than you would have made in that salary job, which I think is what, when you read about it, you will see people, their stories and research of people who are now making money, doing what they love, and probably making more money doing what they love. So it is just... I don't want to just be the optimist here, but I want I do want people to hear that we are in a space, an environment, a climate, a culture where we can do whatever we want. And I don't know if we've ever seen that before. True. And I, Very true. Yeah. I think Courtney brings up some great points and as well as Brett that the barriers to access to do your own thing. Right. Instead of it being a side hustle where you had to work a 48 plus hour a week job be the care provider in the home and then try to find time to do the other passions that you have. We've evolved as a society where we now have access to do that. You know, the notion of getting something copyrighted or proprietary was, you know, oh, I got to get a lawyer. I got to do all of this. Now we can do this with a few forms and clicks online and we own our own name. We own our own rights Mm -hmm. to our own product right. that we're creating. We can creating. create our website. We can do all of those Amen. kinds of things. Yep. Right. Yeah. And, and with that, that allows a lot of people who have talent that otherwise would have been overlooked to come into the marketplace. Right. And we have the distribution where we can go direct to the customer, right? We used to have to go through, well, I can't sell this product or this service unless I'm affiliated with something else. 
Now I can deliver this directly to you in a plethora of options online. Right. Mm-hmm. Two two resources that I, I just want to throw in here real quickly um, because it, starting a business in Ohio is not difficult. It can be done. State of Ohio has their small business um, centers mm-hmm. that will help, and all of the services are free. The SBA has services. It's all free. Tim, you were talking about MOOCs. Um, one that is lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A.com. Many people use, but there are fees to it. Go th- get a get a library card from Columbus Public Library. Go through their resources. They're all free. Tens of thousands of courses. So just want to throw that out. And again, we're going to add all this to our, our resources sheet. But I just want to go on to, our, to my next question because it, it's really sort of the to, to finalize this part of our, our conversation. Employers are telling you, oh, you're too overqualified. You know, we heard that for our older job seekers so many times. It was mm-hmm. amazing. Um, there's a disconnect between what we think we employers want us to say in an interview and what they're really looking for. Some advice. Yeah, I'm, I'm fortunate that I get to participate in a number of advisory boards here in the Columbus area that are pretty much made of the directors and leaders of talent acquisition and recruiting. And every one of them, whether they're in healthcare, insurance, food and beverage, they say, I, I just can't find enough people. And I always find that disheartening because I look out and I say, mm-hmm. we have so many good people in our community, right. so many talented people who are willing and ready to work. So there's clearly, right, your word, Carol, a disconnect there. Yes. And I, I feel part of that disconnect is on the employers. They have to take a look at what are their expectations and what are those job descriptions requiring right. and is that real? And is the is is what they put into their tracking system really what they want? It's the yes. the old typical adage on computers. You know, you put garbage in, you're getting garbage out. If you put in information into that tracking system, which is not really the candidates you want, you are never going to get a candidate. Yeah. yeah, and the beauty of so the work that I get to the privilege of doing every day in, in diversity, inclusion, and equity is that we know that there's bias in hiring practices. We know that. Mm-hmm. As much as companies want to do AI, which is using you know artificial intelligence to hire and to track, we know that the person that's entering the information into the AI, if they're biased, then they're entering coded language and words that also create bias. So we can't expect for these tracking systems and, to just miraculously. Right. And and it may be that they just don't know. They don't know because right. unconscious bias means you don't know. Well, That's and, by and, definition. And they right? haven't been trained and or you have educated not been trained. to do it correctly. So that leads yeah. to the beauty of the work that I get to do. I have a privilege of working with HR executives and HR teams that literally are doing the work of going through their hiring practices, meaning do we actually need somebody to have a master's degree for this job? And historically, we've done that. Have we actually lost talent because we put that in there and we really don't need it? Mm-hmm. We now have conversations around when we say it's not they're not a good fit. What really does that mean? Is that our own unconscious bias because they don't talk the way we speak? They don't use the right language we think. Are we actually not bringing in talent because of that? Those conversations are happening. Mm -hmm. And a plug for Central Ohio, there are some incredible organizations in Central Ohio who are having those conversations and who are also doing the work 
to make sure that they change how they recruit, to make sure how they um, hire, to make sure how they even have hiring panels. So there's a lot of work happening to make sure that we are more inclusive in the way we hire and that we are bringing, making sure that we have talent and not just the talent we think we want, but the talent that our organization needs. And I want um, our listeners to hear that, to know that as much as we're asking you to do the work, to update your resume, to jump on LinkedIn, know that on the other side, the employers are being challenged and charged to also do the same. So if we do this right and well, and people like Tim and I in the workforce helping and people like you that are having these conversations, if we all do this together, then we have an opportunity to change the way our workforce looks. And that goes back to my earlier point that we now know that research says having these different intergenerations, these different generations in the workforce actually is a strategic advantage mm-hmm. because it's helping with innovation and it's helping with that bottom line. You know, one of the things that we used to tell our older clients is don't assume that the interviewer that you are going to be talking with is good. And again, it's not their fault. They may be literally the receptionist who got stuck because the inner, the, the normal interview recruiter is not in that day. Um, so, but also that the uh, systems are correct. So I'm sort of beating this again a little bit. But um, to put it in perspective, when when the tracking systems first started, we were working with an employer and uh, trying to post their jobs and get people to apply to this great organization, one of the largest in the communities. And people were calling saying, Carol, I can't get through the system. Mm-hmm. It's knocking me out, blah, 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 blah. I called the recruiter and I said, have you ever done this? Have you ever actually applied for a job through your system? Of course, they hadn't. And I said, well, so why did you pick this particular system? It really doesn't work. I mean, it. It. I have three degrees and I can't get through your system. Bottom line is the technical folks picked the system, yeah. Yeah. not the HR folks. So, so uh, job seekers have to be uh, just ready to commit to being a job seeker to really doing everything you can and be persistent because the systems there, they may not be set up to be biased, but they're biased just because of the way that they were configured. They are. Yeah. And the more we start to know what this whole thing is, the more we start to realize how it all is negatively impacting all of us, the better we'll get at it. But until then, that persistent piece goes as far as to if I know that I am qualified for this position and I'm not getting through the system, I'm calling mm-hmm. HR. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is I may have to sit on hold. Now we have speakerphones. So just put the speakerphone on and go wash dishes or, Do you know, you like me, I've typically put loads in the laundry or I'm still working, <laughs> but I'm going to make sure I get through. And then you say it to them. And then typically they will, you know, I've had experiences of myself and friends who've then schedule interviews because the people said, send your resume. And when you read the resume, it was because we didn't have the right language, but we had more. We had the, we had over the skill, mm-hmm. but we didn't have the language that the, that, tech, the, the technical person put in. Right. Yeah. yeah. So there is a little bit of um, legwork, but you just have to be willing to do it. But uh, and trust that on the other side, we're, we are hounding 
saying you have to make sure that you aren't putting in keywords that isn't resonating. Right. That you just randomly found on Google or I, in at the source. I, I would get the the eye roll from employers when I'd say, you'd probably have more success if you didn't use that tracking system. And actually had somebody read those resumes. That's but right. They were like, oh, no, 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 no. You know, so. Mm. It, it's uh, a balance that we continue to work through, right? Mm-hmm. Because the advancements of technology benefit us in a lot of ways. But as you state, Carol, the applicant tracking systems, if they're not set up and if you don't have educated people using them, and I'm talking about on the employer side, then they actually can do more harm than good. Absolutely. Similar to, you know, the in-person approach, we shouldn't have to go to a workaround if if Mm -hmm. the system is working well. And so I encourage employers, if they aren't getting good candidates, Take a really deep dive at how their entire candidate experience looks. Where are they putting their advertisements? Who are they reaching out to? And if they aren't sure how to do that, reach out to Courtney or I, and we will help you navigate that so that you can be more relevant and show up to a larger audience that will help impact your bottom line. Yes, Yes. your phone numbers and websites and emails will be on the show notes. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, you know, this podcast is focusing on adults over 50. Uh, let's let's put it in perspective. How, you know, what's the advice for older job candidates with all of this that we've just talked about? Well, the advice is take advantage of the fact that the younger generation has demanded flexibility in the workforce, right? So now you're at a stage in your life where you've got lots of great experience, but you you have other things in your life that are commanding your time and attention. You really do want to be able to care for your grandchildren part-time or pick up and drop off certain things in the community at a volunteer shelter while you also still work in a relevant space. So find that balance and go and approach the manager of the store or the friend that you used to work with that you trained to backfill your role. Ask them, well, well I know how to do QuickBooks or I know how to do all of that. Can I come in and just work 20 hours a week or can I work 30? Or, you know what, we actually are in a great position and be forthright and say, I don't need benefits, so is there a contract situation that I can explore? And if that's intimidating to you, then take the time to meet with some of these local nonprofits and their work groups and help them walk you through what that looks like. And, right, it's don't be intimidated by starting your own business. Take your side hustle, your side gig, and and make it real and a lot of times I've, I've heard folks say, well, how am I going to cover my insurance? Well, we have a whole health marketplace, and it's not perfect, but it's there, and it didn't used to be. Mm-hmm. And now you can go out and you can pick your insurance however you choose according to what your family needs are and what your affordability is. But, you know, for the more mature worker, and it, and it cracks me up because, right, According to the the U.S. Congress, at forty plus, you're now protected by the Age Discrimination That's right. Act. God, you two are old. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and, and and I think you know I know people who are still very productive at work, and they're beyond seventy, and they know everything that's going on in yes. the environment. Um, so it's not it's not simple. I don't want to make it sound simple, but it is. The persistence, it is the networking, it is taking that self-inventory to have realistic expectations of your time and the value of your time. And then it's, you know, using the the technology and the pathways that are there 
and moving forward and being committed to it. I do think it's critical that you stay committed to what you want to do and and stay with that. Mm-hmm. Talk talk yeah. to people that you are who are, that are doing what you want to do. People yes. love talking about their job they and, do. and yeah. their goals and their mission and you know how how excited they are to get up and make their widgets every day. And talk to people about that. That's the yeah. best way to learn. And so BBC did an article in 2019 and it talked about how um, you know, our, our elders, our more seasoned people can reinvigorate the workforce. Mm-hmm. And we'll put that up for um, in a resource. But that is a fantastic. It, it was just a fantastic article, as you all probably know by now. I think NPR and BBC are great resources for our world. But they talked about by 20, the United States Bureau of Labor Statistics said by 2026, one in 10 workers will be 75 and older. Right. So we already know that, as Tim said, we're not leaving the earth until we're over 100 at this point. Right. So our workforce, we now have research that says a more age diverse workforce is a better workforce. Right. So just empower yourself to know that you are now an asset when decades we didn't look at it that way. It's now proven. And guess what? You should also be able to brag to your grandchildren and to your children that by you staying in the workforce, you're also helping their wages because research tells us that the older people who are in the workforce make sure because they are at a certain wage gap, then they make sure that they're increasing the wages for other generations. So again, a strategic advantage, having age diversity on our teams and in our workforces. So I would tell people Don't cut yourself out. Don't eliminate yourself. Arm yourself. Look at the resources that we're going to put up. Arm yourself with the knowledge of knowing that you are valuable. And then from there, you say, I no longer want to work to work. I want to enjoy it. Then think about what is it that I can do where I enjoy it. Right. And then you pursue that. And then after that, you say, how can I make money? Is it actually going back to the workforce or can I do it online? And if so, where are the groups that will help me do it online? There are practical ways to reinvent ourselves, to reinvigorate our lives and to actually enjoy them. Right. And so those are the resources that I would just recommend. My my older adult clients were my inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those encore careers for older adults are Phenomenal. That's Phenomenal. what I'm doing. I'm on my my second encore career working with Brett, so <laughs> making him work. Um, okay, so my and look my, how happy you two are, by the way. I know. I think that's the goal here. We have fun. Yeah, we have exactly. Fun. That's right. I told him when he when he suggested we do this. I said, as long as we're having fun. Well, you're so examples of what we all should have. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to ask you one more question, but I'm going to give you a time limit because we're running out of time. Um, any additional advice? I'll I'll just add, you know, there is that disconnect, but it isn't one that we can't overcome, right, between opportunity and employment. And so stay with it. And and the other piece, it's okay if you say this isn't a culture fit and you exit in a month or two. Mm -hmm. Don't stay in a role just because you have a job. Make that transition so that you have what Courtney just said, you're happy. Right. Right. It's okay to want to be happy and then to go pursue a career that allows you to do that. I agree. 
I, I have nothing else to add. I absolutely agree. Thank you both for being here, your insights, your recommendations. We knew this was going to be a great episode. We uh, had to reschedule a couple of times, uh, COVID thing, something. Yeah. Know, you know? But, uh, you know, we hope you're going to return, provide us more information. I, I know we can dive into more topics and probably get a bit, a bit more specific on some things. We covered a lot of ground, which is good. It's a, it's a good starting point for us to move forward with uh, following episodes. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Looking Forward Our Way. We'd like to ask a favor from you. Would you give us some feedback on our podcast? We've made it really easy to do so. Click on the link in our episode show notes. That link will take you to our podcast Google My Business page. Now, you may have to sign into your Google account. From there, we'd appreciate your feedback on the podcast overall, feedback on a specific episode, or a suggestion on what you would like to see us cover in a future episode. All your feedback is really appreciated. Your comments only help us create episodes that will keep us all looking forward our way.